listen to Guitar George because he knows all the chords. This is the normal thing you do when you're talking into your wristwatch. Now, Mr. Bands, I know that's you. Ah, but how can you prove it? It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, the podcast with large, friendly letters on the cover. I'm Mark Stedman, an amazingly together guy. I'm Danny Smith, UK's foremost ski boxing champion. And I'm John Bands, and I feel self-conscious if left alone for long enough with the Swiss cheese plant. In a break from tradition, Danny and I are actually in the same physical space. Hello! I'm so close I can touch him. Please don't. All right, let's lock and load. The definite kill Fotrazon cannon is a Vogon weapon aimed at our hero's ship in the second book. The Vogons have one that goes up to 30 megahertz, and I bet it does. Um, Danny, have you ever fired a weapon? I was uh, uh, at, at summer camp, uh, camp America, and one of, one of the friends that I made was this really, really cool guy um, that uh, was a sculptor in his spare time, because we were both working in our bit. Um, Lovely guy, super pacifist, quite hippie. And he offered, he said, look, come stay with me and my family and we'll go stay at my frat house afterwards um, and I'll, I'll show you a good time for a few weeks. Uh, so we went to his house and um, his dad was like this super interesting character that I later found out was in the CIA. Anyway, we were sitting down at dinner and um, and he went, so you're from uh, England, you know, in the way they pronounce England as England is three, three syllable. Yep. Um, so I bet you'd never fired a gun before. And I was like, no. And he was like, do you want to? At this point, my mate, the the pacifist sculptor that uh, just put his head in his hands because I was like, yes, I definitely do want to do that. Uh, so the next day, uh, he, he got a super early and he got like his gun collection out. So I fired uh, three types of rifle. Um, a handgun, I was better at the handgun, a German Luger pistol that he'd collected, and then the final one was a shotgun that he said, okay, there's two triggers here. If you pull the back one, it'll be both barrels. If you pull the front one, it'll only be the first barrel, and then you can pull that again for the second, but shoot both barrels. And I was like, well, you know, doesn't it hurt? Because like, there's a huge kickback, and he was like, yeah, it really will, but do that one anyway. I was like, I'd rather not do that one. And he was like, do that oh, and anyway so I did it and we were firing at a piece of paper and like nailed to one of his fence posts and at that point it like pretty clocked the fence post pretty good and it just obliterated this fence post like uh, destroyed it and destroyed my shoulder for a good few days afterwards as well I only uh, ever shot a gun once it was some sort of well it was like a I don't know, it was like a posh fate I guess uh, but it was um, it was it was somewhere I used to work, and there was like you know loads of things to do. You could go and like fly a model helicopter or go and have a salsa lesson, things like that. It was like all day, and the one thing was clay pigeon shooting. Oh, I'm not, yes. I've never really thought I wanted to do that, but I thought, go on then. So I had a go at it, and it turns out it's I, as far as I could see, it's really bloody easy. All right, depth perception. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I think this is uh, many years before my uh, astigmatism. <laughs> God knows what I'd hit now, or maybe I would need to unleash both barrels on the two different pigeons I saw. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, 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 it was. I think it was. It was easy. I didn't admit. I didn't think it was more, the sort of visceral nature of the the kickback and holding it in your hands and stuff was any more fun than shooting like the the ducks with the like a Nintendo 
because uh, like the dog didn't turn up and laugh at you or anything. I just didn't really get. It. It's actually rather nice, despite the fact that the Earth gets demolished and there are all sorts of like death rays and Magrathir fire a thermonuclear weapon at the ship and all this sort of stuff. There's very little actual death and violence in in the whole uh, thing, and that's quite unusual for your space set yeah apart from the first yeah the, 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 um, the first initial destruction apart from that you know eight billion people or whatever that get completely wiped out that's fine it was only about five then when he wrote it yeah and most of them are arseholes exactly but isn't most of the violence um philosophical violence like there is a very strong nihilistic everything descends into chaos and I think he's very much worth anything unless we put a worth onto it kind of thing that runs through it that can be quite bleak in places. The huge section where they're trapped in prehistoric earth Mm -hmm. and it's kind of presented as a, well, you know, you were just going to exist anyway. Why not exist in prehistoric earth or anywhere else? Like all you're doing is choosing like essentially whatever you do, you're only you're choosing where you're going to exist until you die anyway. So you might as well be here and might as well be now. Um, I, I get, and, and there's a lot of like anti, um, anti-theist, anti, um, anti-religious stuff, which is it, it's all very valid, but mm-hmm. it kind of adds a cloud of, Yes, it does tend towards nihilism, doesn't yeah. it? When you say, well, there's there's nothing, then, yeah, you sort of, you are going to veer towards nihilism. All right, uh, let's annoy some Vogons. The Dentrassi let forward and Arthur aboard the Vogon ship just before the Earth is destroyed. They're the best cooks and the best drinks mixers, and they don't give a wet slap about anything else. The Vogons employ them to cook, and the Dentrassi amuse themselves by doing things that annoy the Vogons, like picking up hitchhikers. Bounder, what are some of your favourite ways of annoying a Vogon? Well, as an Earthling, I ignore them simply by existing. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing we know about Vogons is they love forms they love order they love rules so if you really want to annoy a vogon it's not sticking their your uh hand down their throat to procure a drink it's not feeding their grandmother to the ravenous bug blatter beast of trial it's not that what you've got to do is fight bureaucracy with bureaucracy Ooh, it's a little bit like how i don't know if you're in a work situation if you've got someone who's a bit of a job's worth and you feel the need to get back at them you've got to be a little bit of a job's worth too in a way they don't quite understand make up some rules so i i sometimes and i don't think i'm proud of myself for doing it i quite enjoy a little tussle with a, a corporation's um logic in how they deal with customers for example i do like I like so they've spent a lot of money, made lots of people redundant, set up, done lots of bad things to the economy, and what they've done is they've tried to pare down uh, the interaction with customers into these sets of rules. Right, there's always a flaw in these rules; they're designed by humans, and humans are stupid. So, here's a little example. Um, I uh, moved house, um, and uh, there was a, a bit in there. You changed the electricity supplier. Um, actually, I was keeping the same electricity supplier, but changing the electricity supplier at the house uh, moving into. So, uh, as normal, you sort of the, all these little jobs you have to do, you divide them up between you in the couple. So, my other half, 
she was the one that uh, phoned up the electricity company and said, blah, 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 we're moving. We want to keep you as a supplier. Can you take over the supply of our new house from this date? They do that. Brilliant. They're all sorted. So you think. So a little bit later, we get a letter that says to our house, which is number 13, a little bit of a, a letter that says, dear, blah, blah, number 13, uh, we've received your request to change the electricity supply at number 31. I mean, What? So we, uh, so not only they're not going to do it to us, the people who are like tw- ten houses up the road are going to be mildly annoyed when they. So, so I thought, right, I should better find better sort this out. So I phoned them up, and essentially they would not talk to me because I was not my wife, so I was not on the uh, system as the account holder. Okay, so we can't t- we can't do anything, can't tell you anything because of data protection. I go, I don't want you to tell me anything i'm going to tell, to tell you, you something, something. <laughs> yes and they and they wouldn't have it and they said well can we can we speak to your wife she's not she's not here and i was going i just want to tell you this. I, just want, I don't care if this delays it i just want you not to annoy someone else up the road my new neighbor it might you know not be best please so they wouldn't do this so I, anyway, I got really annoyed so i went but annoyed but i didn't show my rights i said Oh, hang on. And then I sort of made a sort of like almost like radio uh, gravel uh, crunching noise. I actually took my <laughs> phone and went outside and crunched, crunched a little bit on the, the gravel, opened the door. And then I thought I was going, oh, hello, dear. Um, can you just talk to electricity people? And then I like, switched the phone to my other hand and went, <laughs> oh, hello. Because I can, the only uh, <laughs> thing my laptop I can do is, 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 is that's all I could do. <laughs> And hello. Oh, hello. Oh, yes, my husband's right. He's got to change the thing. And they was good. And the, the person that were in the phone said, Now, Mr. Bounds, I know that's you. <laughs> and I'm going, Ah, but how can you prove it? And he goes, that, like, that doesn't sound like a woman's voice. It's too deep. And I said, I'll have you know, I'm, a tra- I'm transitioning. <laughs> we're a very woke couple. Yeah. And they would not. Uh, so, um, yeah, basically, they wouldn't. <laughs> they would. They wouldn't be, and they said, you said she wasn't here, and I said, you heard her coming up the gravel path. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't win, but I did have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you never win, but you, 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 know, you might just have a little bit of fun on the way. Now, let's talk about something a little different. The Digital Village is a company co-founded by Douglas Adams in 1994, uh, along with Robbie Stamp, who was one of the executive producers of the Hitchhikers film. They renamed to H2G2 in 2000, along with the website, but not before putting out the Starship Titanic game on CD-ROM. Remember them? The gaming division reformed as Phase 3 when the Digital Village folded and had to abandon work on a 3D Hitchhikers game when the company folded in 2002. Of course, Adams died in 2001 and the company was already in the weeds. So do you guys have any ideas why the Digital Village never quite worked, uh, given the vision of one of its founders? So I was thinking about two things. I was trying to think why. I was trying to think there's lots of reasons why you could say it never worked. And one is, oh, no, they could be essentially too prescient the technology wasn't there to do the ideas um which is not um and you know it wouldn't be unusual from a, a science fiction right and there's the other sort of thing that the money came from um i think i'm right at least it came from people who were involved with um carlton television he used to have one of the itv franchise franchise discs. so there's a kind of mixture of sort of like old media stuff and they did do they did produce some radio stuff i think and a 
TV documentary. And so they were trying to do everything across the medias. But contradicting that, I was going to say, of course, number one, all internet companies fail eventually. We expect them to. And it's sort of like being a football ma- sort of like being a football manager. It's like uh, no matter how many games you win, you'll eventually lose enough uh, to get the sack. So that's in terms of internet company, the success is to go long enough and also to have achieved what you want to achieve and move on and not not be holding the bomb uh, when it goes off. But there's but but on the other hand, they did achieve lots of things that they wanted to achieve. The CD-ROM game was ahead of its time. The sort of language engine was ahead of its time. The sort of way they got stars involved was a kind of like, you know, big names was ahead of its time, that sort of multimedia, you know, the book of a computer game at that point. I mean, now it's like, yeah, films and computer games, right. But in the early, late 1990, you know, late 1990s, that wasn't going to happen. So they achieved lots, I think. It's, it's I think it's a case of like, um, you know, what you're going to, uh, yeah, what, well, yeah, we know we never define success. <laughs> and the joy of having a, a visionary like um, Douglas Adams is that many, many things that he thinks of and other science fiction uh, authors and creators think of is they eventually come to pass because they give, they set that idea in, um, you know, in, in it's, um, it's intentionality when you give something a name, um, it, you know, it, it, people can talk about it. So people can talk about the ideas of, um, oh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a really a good one. Well, essentially that um, we could fe- essentially say, couldn't we, that the Hitchhiker's Guide to a certain extent is, um, like an app, a Wikipedia app or something that would be, yeah. oh, absolutely. So, so, yeah. so that would, so that, but, and I'm not saying that idea couldn't be reached from a different place, mm-hmm. but it's, um, the fact that he got there 40 years before. <laughs> yeah. But and yeah, but that's, but that's the problem. That's almost the problem, isn't it? You get there 40, 40 years and you can have that idea, but, and you can know that a computer game would be a much better experience if you believe there are all these characters knocking around in the world and they're doing their own things new and stuff. But actually it's at that stage, really, really hard to make it. And someone's got to make it, but the people who spend lots of time really, really hard making it are not often the ones to root the rewards. Do you think at any point in history, there would have been a viable idea as a spinoff to make an actual um, Hitchhiker's Guide. It'd be totally possible too if you could get the rights to um, make a sort of Hitchhiker's Guide app that basically took all its content from Wikipedia. And you go, oh, you'd probably you'd probably sell quite a few of those. But the basic problem is Wikipedia is not funny. Where does the where is the amusing uh, Wikipedia? Who's going to rewrite those millions of pages to be both useful and funny? Um, but it's not hard to get people to do that. I mean, people contribute to Wikipedia. People, I mean, Urban Dictionary is that, but with jokes. Like, yes. So it's not hard to get people to contribute funny articles. The challenge is making it good. Oh, yeah. No, there has to be some editorial control. Well, that bit of music can only mean it's time for an audiobook recommendation. This week, we wanted to bring you a story of British consumerism, absurdity and loneliness in the form of What Was Lost by Catherine O'Flynn. 
This award-winning book is 10 years old now and is wonderfully read by Colleen Prendergast. Or Prendergast. If you've never tried audiobooks, you absolutely should. They're the perfect way to keep uh, up on your reading list while you're cooking or driving or trying to hitch a lift on a Vogon constructor ship. If you sign up with Audible now, you can listen to over 180,000 titles, including books and periodicals, and our listeners, our listeners, that is, get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook when they go to audibletrial.com slash leopard. So why not give What Was Lost a little try? Just go to audibletrial.com slash leopard and pick up your copy. And now, here's a pretty neat idea. Digital watches come under a fair bit of stick by Adams. John, what do you think he would have made of the current crop of smartwatches? Um, I'm fairly sure he would have had one, maybe more. Uh, he would have tinkered with them. He would have enjoyed setting them up. Uh, he would have defended them as a thing that wasn't quite there yet. He would have enjoyed them as a piece of technology. So here's the thing. So you've got a watch, and like Arthur's watch – in uh, Mostly Harmless. It's a lovely watch, and it uh, does only tell the time, unfortunately, on this particular planet. But um, if you, you know, you don't need a battery, you wind it, it's fine. It doesn't need a battery. You, it's perfect. It's, you're never going to need to buy anything else. That's it. So, uh, and it's always on. The time thing is always on. When the first digital watches came out, not only did they need batteries, which need replacing, not only could they break, the circuit in them could break, but you couldn't see the time. You had to press a button. On the original Sinclair ones, you had to press a button to get the red thing up, and the, the, then the time would come out. And that's all they did. They didn't do anything else. So the digital watch didn't come into its own, I don't think. And so, um, like Dan was saying, um, they had calculators on them, and teachers didn't know they had calculators on them. So you could do, <laughs> so you could do, you could do it in class with your maths. <laughs> And uh, I remember uh, taking my uh, math exam at uh, primary school and they were surprised how I'd got 100%. I saw someone today um, actually using a digital watch as a phone. So they were talking into it. And you, they could tell that people were looking at them using it. And there was no default thing to do um, to make it seem natural. Because mm-hmm. talking into your watch, you're either... Dick Tracy or an idiot mm-hmm. and they, they literally had nothing so they were trying different things so they were doing the bring the wrist up right to the mouth they were uh, at one point they did the running the hand through the hair <laughs> <laughs> the old, uh, running the hand through the hair so you can still talk to me but this is a completely natural thing playing also the, I'm now just talking to myself yeah, while play, I'm running my playing with the collar oh, that yeah, was, yeah, that, yeah. That was yeah. one they tried and they they were literally trying anything to avoid like the, the like the because nobody's blazed that trail yet and gone. This is the normal thing you do when you're talking into your wristwatch. Yeah, we're still not right with the whole hands-free thing, are we? I mean, they uh, it still looks like people have got issues when they're wandering around talking to themselves, and you're not sure. And when you watch um, The Apprentice, and you see kids doing this these days, holding up their normal phone on speaker. I hate that. Oh, I hate that. I hate yeah. that. There's a reason they do it on the television. You're not on the television. Stop it. Right then, with a quick swipe, it's time for lunch. The Dino Charge is a credit card used, surprisingly enough, for dining. Ford carries one, uh, which is linked up to the guide's publishers, and it got me wondering, Danny, as a journalist, 
Have you ever entertained using company funds? I have not. I have never. How oh, you sir. Very dare you, sir. Um, no, never, never done it. I, I, I would do, and I, th- I feel I would be <laughs> a little bit more liberal than even the most liberal that um, other people would be. But no, uh, very wisely, people have never done that. I, we did. There is a, a kind of thing that we did. Um, a friend of mine who should rename nameless because of the statute of limitations uh, ran up a bit of a debt on his credit card. Um, and he was moving away anyway. Right. And he looks it up. And apparently after seven years, like if they ca- don't catch you for credit card debt, you're, you're, it's exonerated. It's expunged. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'll never get any credit anywhere else ever hmm. again. But he, he kind of figured that that's going to happen anyway. He wasn't <laughs> paying back the very small amount. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like, well, if you're going to stick your hand in the pickle jar, stick it into the elbow. <laughs> so we spent a very good two weeks seeing how far we could get this credit card. <laughs> um, so, you know, when you go to a pub, and even back then, like, uh, it's a little bit more popular now, so they're a little bit cheaper, but, like, there was a cocktail menu. We'd head straight for the cocktail menu. What's that? I never tried that. What's that? I never tried that. And we uh, rinsed this credit card for two weeks straight before he went to live in Ireland forever and ever and ever. Because um, apparently Ireland's a different country. <laughs> and they never found him. Um, wow. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun just being able to slap that bit of plastic there and be like, there you go. The Although it was, always, it was always very much a, um, you know, when you uh, go on the tube and you, you dread the idea that your little card or your bank card or anything is going to stop and you're going to stop the big flow of people and your heart goes that little bit. Oh. Or that little bit where you walk out of a store and they make, you know, the... Um, Oh, the beep, beep, beep. The beep, beep, beep machines are very obvious, and you have to walk through the beep, beep, beep machines. And even though you haven't nicked anything, your heart goes... Massive guilt. What if I... Metal detectors. What if I accidentally nick something? Yeah. What if I'm accidentally metal and I'm in the airport? Yeah. Yeah. What if I did show a gun up my ass? Like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I could have done that and forgotten. Uh, yeah. So every time we used it, it was that kind of, come on, please, 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 please. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah! Oh yeah, no, totally, totally knew that was going to go yeah, through. Oh. Yeah, we, yeah, no, we're, we're not celebrating that. We no, just heard some good news that you're sweating. Can't hear. No, you, yeah, you're, you're sweating anything. if anything. Uh, so yeah, um, so in a way, no, that's not even close. <laughs> it's the only thing that I've got close to that. In this day and age, is there any way that this just wouldn't come back and bite you on the bomb? There's, um, it follows you everywhere, doesn't it? So, for, so Ford in the in the book has to do that whole thing with um, diving into the ship's accounts or whatever to um, as a, a topographical feature to try and um, sort this out. But in the, this day and age, you can't even um, get away with, as I once tried, to use my um, works bus pass that was used for shuttling between two different parts of the work. Uh, not the place I work at now, to actually get on the bus where you uh, get onto the shuttle thing and staying on the bus, I wanted to go somewhere else. Eventually, they even caught up with that. It's yeah. just like... Uh, Is there no joy left in life? You know uh, uh, Tesco club cards? 
and they're like got what's little... up with those well yeah and what are they about but this <laughs> so they have they're trying to get you now to have your contactless as they say tesco club card and the thing about contactless as far as i'm concerned is the one thing that we know about contactless is you actually have to make contact <laughs> with the thing and the thing that it's replacing was like a laser barcode thing where you didn't what's all that about <laughs> a tap here i will not sir <laughs> And they just, and basically, I mean, they really need to know how many, uh, like, small cans of Heineken or uh, <laughs> almond croissants I'm buying. What, what for? Oh, very good. So, uh, we've nearly cast the entire crew for the Heart of Gold uh, for our new hypothetical Netflix series, but there's one shipmate we haven't yet cast. So, who do we want to pick? For Eddie. So can I clarify, Eddie is the annoying computer on the Heart Gold. He is. He's the he's the avatar for Americanness. Uh yes, he has the wonderful line, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Please call me Eddie if it will help you relax. I was trying to think of like uh an air steward or an air stewardess. They're not called that anymore, are they? They're called sky waiters or Sure. Flight attendant. Flight attendant, that's the bunny. So I was thinking somebody that could play like a, like an annoying, cheerful... Obsequious. Yes, a flight attendant. I thought Graham Norton would be... That's wonderful. Yeah, just <gasps> just slightly camp annoying, oh, condescending. God. So I've been thinking about this too, and I was going to say that, um, you know these surveys you have about best accents for when you feel <laughs> most relaxed or whatever, they yes. always come up with Irish... So um, mm-hmm. that would make that would be totally a thing that uh, a corporation would do. Totally, that's a wonderful choice. I love Graham Norton as Eddie. <sighs> I was also thinking uh, annoying, cheerful. So um, drive time DJs. <laughs> so someone like Bruno Brooks <laughs> would yeah. be a nice little nod to the dads in the audience that get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a few uh, DJs that are currently out of work, um, famous English ones. For yeah, one we, could book or him. we could book him. <laughs> yeah, are we sure we want to go down uh, U-Tree Lane? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to vet them. Uh, for me, the most memorable thing that Eddie does is break into song uh, oh, to try and uh, yes. comfort them. Minus 15 seconds, guys. are still homing in. You can't shake them. We're going to die. When you so only two types of people would sing you'll never walk alone they would be um people who like musicals mm. or people from liverpool yes so that or people possibly... who like people from birmingham who support liverpool fc oh yeah so, so this so i was thinking i i to be honest i uh i lost it a little bit i couldn't really think of anybody but i said well maybe michael angelis or something or uh ringo star could do a job <laughs> ringo star is a good show we're all forgetting eddie's backup personality yes we are and uh the backup personality is the uh the sort of mumsy uh nanny uh type very uh, this is a very british one so you're either gonna go sort of emma thompson mm. like that or you just go sod it get stephanie cole on the phone which one's stephanie cole she's in that um radio four thing with benedict cumberbatch about an aeroplane uh what's that called uh cabin pressure cabin pressure that's the one she's yes. brilliant she's perfect for this yes she would absolutely be perfect for that that's a that's a really nice choice with the accent talk and and john you brought up like uh corporations certainly like to use certain accent uh, accents northeast the northeast of england seems to be a very popular accent so now i kind of like the idea of having um what's that surrealist 
uh, comic Ross who does Noble. all the improvised stuff, Ross Noble. I kind of like the idea of having Ross Noble as Eddie the Shipboard Computer. You know, we could reinvent him. Instead of him being annoying, he could actually be, like, quite funny and maybe... Like, maybe he makes jokes that are above the heads of the rest of the crew. Like, maybe he's 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 zigging where they're, they're expecting him to zag. There's, there is that Northeastern comedian, uh, Wes Glasses. Yes, Sarah Millican. Sarah Millican. Yeah. She could be quite good as, as, as like, not a foil, but, like, as somebody that... She, yeah, because she's got... The, that's really wonderful, actually, because she can be very... I don't want to say mumsy, because that's not entirely right, but she, you know, because she calls people love uh, in a very sort of arm-round-the-shoulder affectionate kind of way, but she can also push people away with, with, with a barb. Like, she would do that really well. Like, she would bring you in. Uh, and 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 make you feel safe and warm when you come into the come into the ship. But then if you if you annoyed her, she wouldn't do what Eddie normally does and be obsequious. She'd be like, "All right, fella. Well, if you want to be a twat about it, you can go and stand over there." Lee. I wondered which one of us was going to do the impression, and you knocked it out of the park, mate. Uh, actually, that's my favourite suggestion so far. I mean, yeah. all the things I've actually thought about, throw them out the window. But that is the that is the best suggestion, and everyone's going to vote for that. And I might as well just stick my head in the bucket. Apart from the fact I thought Mark was doing Sting, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, those are our picks, and you can cast your vote by heading to btlpodcast.com and clicking on the blog. And now this. Dingo's kidneys is a sort of swear word used by Ford Prefect, but not, if I recall correctly, by anyone else. We've done religious epithets, but I wonder if you two wouldn't mind sharing some of your favourite exclamations that sound all rude and grown up and stuff, but are actually mostly harmless? So are we sure Dingo's kidneys isn't just an Australian uh, swear word that uh, Ford's picked up somewhere? Because it sounds like it might be. It does sound very Australian. Uh, having lived in Australia for a bit, I assure you that if an Australian wants to swear, they will swear, and they will swear before that to, to tee you up for the swearing and uh, let you down afterwards some nice gentle swearing uh, just so you don't get into shock about all the swearing that will come after that. Um, yeah, dig nose is probably not an exclamation because I swear it would be an exclamation. So yeah. what, what, what swears do you actually use? I can't really remember you using any swears, John, when we hang out, like... Especially as exclamation. Yeah, you're not a big, you're not a massive swearer, are you? You should hear me when I'm listening to uh, the Today programme and there's a Tory proposition, <laughs> essentially. But um, I did once, um, not talking about, like, uh, not, it's almost the reverse of uh, swears that aren't offensive, but you use um, because you know they're not offensive. During uh, my uh, French O-level oral exam, I uh, used the word bugger because I did not know it was actually rude. Oh really? I just thought I just thought it was a sort of like a nonsense exclamation that meant nothing. Oh bugger! <laughs> well, uh, as a as a coincidence, I've actually put down the two the two non sweary swear words that I actually use in real life is bugger or buggeration, mm. which which I, I like buggeration better. Or tits. They're both swear words, though, Dad. Are they? Yeah. They're not. Yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about England, is that we have tiers of swears. Yes. There isn't just taboo and not taboo. There's kind of taboo. I mean, many people will stand bollocks. Oh, well, there was... Um, bollocks was... Uh... Uh, there's a big court case about bollocks, wasn't there? When Sex Pistols did um, Never Mind the Bollocks as an album, um, their lawyer managed to produce evidence that it was um, old English. Uh, rather than as, as derivation and thenceforth just could not be offensive. Oh, that's lovely. 
And now, let's put some music on. Dire Straits featured a lot in book four of Adams' series, and I can't help but ask, John, why? I, I don't know what you think of uh, Dire Straits, but their big hit, uh, Sultans of Swing, came out in the early 80s, so it would have been quite current uh, when um, when Douglas was writing the book, because... Um, so thanks for all the fish. He must have been writing that in uh, 83. It came out in 84. Um, and so obviously it was, a, it was music he liked. And um, there's a line in Sultans of Swing uh, where uh, the, uh, the, the dire straits encourage you to um, listen to guitar George because he knows, <laughs> because he knows all the chords. <laughs> and that's, um, that's, that's an interesting uh way of um, expressing um um i don't know value of musicianship it's, it's, it's a complete uh difference it's quite from trumpian sort of... actually how many chord, how many chords are there he's got all the he's got all of them he's got the best chords he's got all the best chords he's, but he's representing something to everybody so um the music a guitarist Straits, the music of dire straits was um probably uh, it was recommending being you know well structured uh well produced um, artistic, using the, all of the chords, using the tools very well, all of those chords, <laughs> and but also quite adult. Which yeah, is, I think probably everything Douglas was trying to think of himself as he moved into, <clears throat> excuse me, the fourth uh, book, which is the first book that didn't exist anywhere else. All the other books were for the radio series. Or but the thing is, Douglas Adams was a great writer. He knew all the letters, <laughs> <laughs> all twenty-six of them. <laughs> And augmentations. I picked up one of my, I think I counted them, four Douglas Allen biographies, one of them. This is the authorised biography, mm. and uh, which is called Wish You Were Here, written by a guy called Nick Webb, who uh, was briefly Douglas's publisher mm-hmm. uh, at PAM. But, um, so back before any of this happened, um, apparently Douglas uh, was visiting his first uh, serious girlfriend who was at Warwick University. So uh, he went up to uh, visit her at Warwick University, and during his visit, I'm going to read from the book here, he met this long-haired bloke from along the corridor who also had a guitar, because Douglas was carrying his guitar with him. Um, and they jammed together with the other guy trying to uh, direct Douglas to lay down a good rhythm line around which he, the long-haired bloke, could take flights. This was an affront to Douglas's guitar hero ego, and it goaded him into venturing the odd and, as he believed, dazzling improvisation. no said the hairy one. If you don't mind, I'll do the fiddly bits. And uh, he did, and uh, apparently he was very, very good. And uh, only years later did Douglas find out that what that was Mark Knopfler. That's quite wonderful, given the reverence with which he, he writes about him uh, in, in the book. Yeah, completely. And there's um, one other reason I was thinking that uh, Dire Straits are in uh, the, the fourth book quite a lot is because the Douglas was really struggling to write the fourth book, and it was uh, their filler, essentially. Um, yeah, it's, it's that and Fulornis Fire Dragons. And with that, we call it a night. Danny, where can people go to find what you're up to? Uh, I've got a Twitter account, uh, at ProbablyDrunk, uh, all my stuff's on there. Lovely. What about you, John? Um, yeah, I, you'll have to uh, pop over to my Twitter account, which is a bounder, um, because I'm. it's going to be November soon, and I'm going to... Not going to do that stupid thing where you write so much every day, but I'm going to 
bloody try and crack the back of this damn novel. And that just about wraps it up for The Leopard. You can tweet us your favourite non-sweary swear words. All the links you need are at btlpodcast.com, along with all of our past episodes, links and show notes. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to pick up your free audiobook and start your free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash leopard. And we'd very much appreciate a review or a thumbs up or any other way that you can make us feel all nice and warm. So we will be back next Thursday. But until then, share and enjoy. To do the sound effects, by the way, I feel like this should be sound effect. No, I don't want you to do the sound effects. You don't want me no. to do that. And anyway, it doesn't go. It goes.